This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robin Curtis, and I played Lieutenant Savick in Star Trek 3 and 4, and I played Talera on Gambits 1 and 2, um, The Next Generation. You're listening to Earl Grey on Trek FM. The Earl Grey Hot. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer. Amy Nelson is away this week, but join with me today is the, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a J word, the, I'll make up one, the Jonificent Joe Keegan. Jonificent, Jonificent is the word. Yes. <laughs> yes. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, although I've got a bone to pick with you. Oh? Was it you that shared the, the baby owls thing? on facebook earlier i think i might have that i'm never going to unsee that that's got that's going to cause me to never go into anybody's basement or loft space or attic or anywhere that's dark so this is the one where somebody was saying these baby owls look like aliens or responsible they do. for alien sightings They're yeah utterly terrifying wow these are the non-star trek things that we think about this is my this is my new tony todd baby owls <laughs> <laughs> ah! yeah so, so listeners, this is our 300th episode of Earl Grey. Uh, we would have loved to have Amy here, but uh, she's unfortunately not feeling well today. But we do definitely have a really special episode for you today because we're interviewing Robin Curtis, who played Savick in Star Trek 3 and 4, and Talera in the Gambit two-parter. This is really exciting, right, Joe? I'm super excited. And I had the chance to meet Robin Curtis at Destination Star Trek in Birmingham earlier in October, and she's just the most delightful, fun individual that i've ever met so yeah and i met her at star at star trek las vegas and she was just super nice and i was like hey would you like to be interviewed on our podcast she was like sure let's work on arranging that so that was that was really nice and i think we're going to have a great interview but first we have a couple of things that we wanted to cover itunes reviews so joe do you want to read the one that uh, came in here I will indeed. Um, so we've got a, an iTunes review from the 11th of October from the US um, from Kate Wren, and it's a five-star review with the subject line, Best Star Trek Podcast. This podcast is such an easy show to listen to. The hosts are awesome and are able to share different points of view and opinions on TNG with great attitudes and really intriguing discussions. I appreciate the huge range of topics and it always makes me want to go back and rewatch all the TV show episodes they talk about afterwards. 
Thanks for all the hard work, guys. Thank you, Kate, for that feedback. Um, it's always really good to get people's feedback, that comment on how good the show is and that they recognise um, the amount of work that goes into producing a podcast. And like we say every week, there is no end of stuff to talk about when it comes to Next Generation. There's so much of it to talk about. We also have some Babel Conference feedback from Earl Grey 297. That was our interview with Jennifer Gotti, who played Bael in the Birthright Two-Parter. So Casey Pettit says, first, you're not alone, Amy. I've never seen Close Encounters, but I'm a little jelly that you got to see it with a live orchestra. Second, Joe, you asked what the 4TS means in Casey Lee 4TS. So I have four T's in my last name. Seemed fitting. I hope you can rest easy now. So really, it's Casey Lee 4T's instead of 4TS, right? Indeed. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And Casey continues, last and most important, another great interview. It's so cool to hear from guest actors and their fond memories of being on TNG, hearing about what great people the cast are and how their memories are so vivid about the short time they spent on the show so long ago. I now often wonder what she would have been like as Kess, but I really wish they could have figured out a way to make Libby more of a recurring role. Maybe she could have been a part of Project Pathfinder? Justin can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Libby play some role in Starfleet Intelligence in the novels? Something like that would have been an interesting way to work her into more Trek. Great actress and great interview as usual. So Casey, so glad you enjoyed the interview. And as I responded in the Babel conference, yes, Libby is part of Starfleet Intelligence in some of the novels. She's in five novels, actually, five uh, post-series Voyager novels. So it's a pretty interesting way to go for her character. And thank you, Casey. I can now sleep at night knowing that you have four T's in your surname, which is kind of obvious looking at your surname, but the four T's. Yeah, now that I see it. but Yes, it's really obvious. Yeah, I'm surprised <laughs> at myself that I didn't see it. So thanks for that comment. Kimberly Lawler says, nice interview. I hadn't realized before how intense the casting process could really be or how stressful for the actors, but it's cool to know as fans how much time and effort really went into it, even for one-off characters. It definitely paid off, as we Star Trek fans tend to remember and even appreciate these guest actors so many years later. I'm glad Jennifer felt so welcomed by the TNG cast too, as I love hearing stories about how nice that crew was and is. Yeah, thanks for your feedback, Kimberly. I obviously I'm kind of relatively new to podcasting, so it's really interesting for me still to interview um, people that were on the show. And it's a, definitely a recurrent theme that they all had a really positive and felt welcomed when they were on the show. Like we interviewed Clyde Kasatsu and Jennifer Gatti and we're, tonight we're going to interview Robin Curtis. So it's awesome. It's fantastic. I love that we're able to do this as podcasters. So Matt Palmer says, hey, great interview. I was listening to it on my night shift and you really got you guys really got me through. So thanks so much for listening. I know people listen doing all kinds of things and all kinds of jobs and shifts. So we're really glad that uh, that got you through the night shift. So yeah, thanks, Matt. It's the power of podcasting people. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Okay, Gina Marie says, I loved hearing her stories about various shows and mainly TNG. That era of television was such an art and so thoughtfully crafted. Uh, yeah, thanks for your comment, Gina. Something that never really occurred to me about the time that it takes to actually produce these shows. And with the volume of shows they produced, 26 episodes per season for TNG, um, that the quality really shines through and how quickly they had to do it. So thank you. Absolutely. So thanks, listeners, for your Babel conference comments and for the iTunes reviews. 
Today on Earl Grey, we have a very special guest, Robin Curtis, who played Savick in Star Trek III and Star Trek IV, and Talera in the Gambit two-parter on The Next Generation. Robin, welcome to Earl Grey. Hello, Earl Grey. <laughs> Joe, Justin, nice to be with you. So lovely to have you here. Yeah, it's really great to have you here. Uh, so let me start out by asking, how did your career in acting start? <gasps> oh my goodness. Now, now we're going back a ways. Okay, so... Um, guys, you know, I was one of those students, and this is going to date me seriously, who like, who, who, who would raise their hand to read the film script the, or, or, you, you know, they used to do, do little film. I'm trying to think it was like slide by slide. And, and some student had to read the, 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 the captions on the, on the pictures. And, and, and so I was one of those kids that, that, that could read pretty well, uh, interpret it with meaning. And, uh, and the whole class could hear me. In any case, guys, uh, what I'm trying to say is, is that a young, as a young kid growing up in a small village, I quickly became labeled as, as the one everybody could hear. And so as soon as the plays you know, came into, into play, like in, in middle school and high school, I got picked to, to be in the plays because, again, I could project and everybody in the little auditorium could hear me. Um, in addition, my mother was a career musician and I sang in the, um, she played the organ in our, in our church. I grew up Presbyterian. You know, I had an opportunity. What I'm trying to say is to be a big fish in a little pond. And, uh, I sang in the church choir and I sang in the school choirs and we had a, we had an amazing high school music teacher who kind of galvanized the whole community to rally around our, our little high school musical every year. And, and this is what planted the seed and my love of theater and my love of musical theater, essentially. But I have to tell you, I never imagined I would ever pursue it as a professional career. Uh, I carried on in college, not quite to the extent that I did in high school. I, I was more in a select singing group in, 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 in college. I didn't really perform on stage as much, except during the summers. I did some summer theater, summer stock, played all the well-known women and wenches of musical theater, Eldunza and Madison Mancha and Nancy and Oliver uh, and, and, and Eve and applause and uh, all these great roles uh, and, and, and very demanding vocal roles. And I, and I really enjoyed the heck out of it. But again, I never imagined I was going to be going to Broadway. Y you know, I, I always knew that that, that took a, a certain metal, uh, a, 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 a certain, you know, spine and confidence to be able to pursue anything creative on that level, you, you know, on, on, on a New York City caliber level. And I didn't think I had it. But then when I graduated from college, I, I quickly realized I wasn't very qualified to do much else. And I thought, well, what the heck? Um, and a friend of mine invited me to go live in the city. And I got a great waitressing job right out of the gate. And people that I had known in my college years invited me to these little opportunities along the way. I call them my angels. And I auditioned for this little musical and I get into it and, and someone comes that was also an alumnus of, of the college I attended guys. And lo and behold, she introduces me to her agent. And I'm not kidding, like within three months of being in the city, I was in this little musical. And within six months of being in the city, I was signed with an agent and got my first commercial for Oil of Olay Skin Cream. And I was all of 23 years old. Oh, wow. And so I quickly figured out uh, although I didn't have what it took to, to, to be on the Broadway musical stage, that the camera was, was quite friendly to me. Now, now this is, I don't mean to sound immodest, but this is something that other people were, were observing. People on the other end of the camera, the casting people, 
they'd say, oh gosh, the camera likes you. And I'd be like, really? Okay. Um, and, and then I figured out that, that if you're going to be on camera, you need to tone down. You know, I was, I was delivering on camera what I thought was needed to go to the, the last row of a theater. So a lot of my, a lot of my work on camera in, in, in the early auditions and stuff, I, it was too big way too big. And so I needed to kind of pull a Robert De Niro and tone it all down as if, you know, like spinal tap. I had to go from 11 to more like seven. <laughs> one less, not one more. And uh, anyway, and, and, that, and that's kind of how it came about. It's just, it kind of baffles me that, you know, I knew I was shoulder to shoulder with people who, who, whose whole purpose on this planet you know, was to be an entertainer, was to be a great actor, was to, you know, be on the stages and, 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 and show humanity what they could do. And I never, I never really felt that was my purpose. Like I just kind of backed into it. And I think because I had a good heart and I was fairly egoless and I was a hard worker and I listened carefully, you know, I, I think of the way I used to describe it was that, you know, there are a lot of really talented actors that kind of fall into that middle, that middle zone, and then there are the extraordinary actors like the Meryl Streep's who soar and uh, whose, whose work, you know, takes our breath away. And I always knew, oh, you know, you kind of fall somewhere in the middle ground, you know, you're not so great, but you're not too bad. And I got a reputation for being very dependable. And, you know, I brought it when I was, when I, when I, when I was hired type of thing, but I, I I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question very well, but even Star Trek kind of fell into my lap. And, and I feel like I should stop now so that you can ask another question. No, no, it's, it's fine because we, we like to start out these interviews by asking, how did your career in, and we've had, you know, actors, directors, writers, et cetera, like how did the career start? It's always a really interesting story that kind of brings the person back to, wow, how did it all start? So, no, we love hearing about that stuff. Right. Um, having met you, um, it's not really surprising that as a kid, you were that kid that was loud and that everybody could hear because you have this quality of spirit and a vivaciousness that just kind of is, is <laughs> so engaging and so powerful um, and it's, it's so friendly. So, um, yes, I have the next question for you. Um, and the answer better be yes. It doesn't have to be, Joe. It, it should be, be, though. <laughs> So the question is, were you a Star Trek fan before you got the role of Savick in Star Trek 3? Well, as a matter of fact, I, I don't know that I, I, I don't know that you, if you could, you know, I think it would be insincere for me to say I was a bona fide fan. Sure. But my older brother, my older brother, Kevin, was. And, and so I saw, I definitely watched the series. And I think what's, what's most notable about that is that, uh, of course, Kevin he's the brainiac of the family. And I felt, I, you know, I, I believe he, he really understood Roddenberry's profound concepts and, and, and scenes and, and was, was, was sort of grooving on all of those levels that maybe others like myself didn't, didn't quite latch onto. And I was more focused. And maybe again, this is because maybe I was a girl and I was, I was at a slightly more tender age. Uh, I was like 10 or 11. I think when the series first came out, um, was it 1963? 66. 66. So I was 10. Mm -hmm. What I remember, and I think this was because I was somewhat sort of prepubescently obsessed with the boy-girl dynamic, 
what I remember is 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 just being completely glued to Shatner and his and his interaction with the different female every week. You know, these 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 beautiful exotic women, you know, whether they were alien women uh and 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 that whole aspect of of eroticism or or they were uh, women who were a part of the fleet and 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 they had the short you know mini skirted uh, uh uh uniforms on and 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 very very sort of sexy hair and and boots and you know and it was just i i just remember drooling over over the way there was all this there was all this sort of sexual tension between either Nimoy or, or, or Shatner for the most part every week and, and, and some exotic female. And then of course, you know, the first interracial kiss, I remember that vividly and it completely went, went over my head. Um, the statement that Roddenberry was making with the interracial layer of it, I, I was more intrigued by the dynamic of why it was happening and that it was at the behest of, 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 of a, of an alien who had some sort of, you know, power uh, over them and was compelling them in that moment, in that, in that scene. And, 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 uh, you know what I mean? So, so I think it's interesting what I latched onto all those years ago with the original series and what my brother latched onto, you know, which is far more uh, respectable and profound, you know, the, the, the projection of hope for the future and the diversity in the cast and, and, and all of the wonderful things now that as a human being on this planet, I, I embrace and celebrate and I love about uh, Star Trek and, and Gene Roddenberry's gift to us, y- you know? So there you go. I don't watch Star Trek now. I, 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 but, but honestly, now that I've met some of the younger cast me- members, Anson Mount and Ethan Peck and all these wonderful young people coming into our, into, you know, the bosom of our family, I, I kind of feel like I should, and I want to, because um, I want to celebrate them. I think, you, you know, you, you watch carefully to see if the young ones come in with the same gratitude and benevolence, you know what I mean? And appreciation for their position and, and, and are they going to be generous to the fans and loving and respectful and all that good stuff. And I, I see, I see all of them bringing it, you, you know, and I'm, and I'm glad, I'm glad it makes me feel very good that they understand, um, coming into our, the family, you know, just how special it is and how lucky they are. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree from everything I've seen from the the uh, Discovery cast members, they really do bring that kind of love and appreciation and, and enthusiasm for it. I want to say also, Robin, for me, the definition of a Star Trek fan is if you've watched Star Trek and you like it. So you were watching it in the 60s and you liked it. So I think that makes you a fan. <laughs> I did, I did. And I was particularly, I was particularly, I should say, I was particularly enthused and in awe of uh, the um, reincarnation with the Christopher Pine and Zachary Quinto cast. Yeah. Um, I thought, I just thought that was awesome. And I, I, I would say, yeah, Star Trek got sexy back. You know, new, new blood, uncanny, and 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 just just brilliant casting of these uh, actors to play the young, younger counterparts to the original cast. I, I, yeah, it just, just blew me away, blew me away and touched me on many, many levels. Yeah, that, that cast, the new cast from 2009, Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, they did a, a remarkably, strangely good job at casting those guys. It's because mm-hmm. they kind of, yeah. they, they captured the chemistry that Kurt Gabones and Spock 
had to a certain extent um, with big Hollywood names. Yeah. So that's kind of awesome. It was eerie. Yeah. Yeah. Eerie how, how, how well chosen those actors were and, and that the creators knew how important that was that we would be, you know, we would all be pr- hoping that there, that there was that, that uh, r- likeness, y- you know, um, something familiar, uh, uh, believability, and they nailed it. That indeed. Yeah, c- completely agree. So, so Robin, I want to move on to talking about um, when you were cast as Savick in, in Star Trek Three. There may be multiple parts to this because actually I love Star Trek Three. It's one of my favorite movies, just overall any movie. <laughs> so let me actually just start out with a question that we got from our listeners group on Facebook, the Babel Conference. It's from David Plummer. Um, and he says, it must have been an interesting challenge to step into the pre-existing role of Savick. I'd be curious to hear about the preparation in the actual acting role and how that's different slash similar to doing so for a new character. Kind of related to that, I, I'm just kind of curious what you knew about the character if you'd seen Star Trek II before that. Well, that that's where uh, fate Fate uh, took care of me a little bit. I had not seen Star Trek II. And then as soon as um, um, I was in, uh, you know, in play for the role, I deliberately didn't see it. You, you know, I didn't, I didn't use that uh, as, as a part of my homework, so to speak. And I think my intuition was, was right on with that as well, because um, I've, I mean, I've since come to learn in, in retrospect that Nicholas Meyer and Leonard Nimoy had very different, I think, interpretations of, of how they would direct the role. And, and then you come to learn, you, you know, how a role like that is very much a collaboration between uh, a, a director who may have had a hand, you know, and, and I'm certain did have a hand in, in, in the script and, and the, you know, how the story was, was crafted. What I mean to say by all of that is just that at the time, my instincts told me, really honestly just start from day one and I think that that was a that was very much the approach that Harv Bennett and Leonard Nimoy had had decided to take whether they talked about it or not I don't know but but the impression I got was that this character never existed before this moment and I wasn't made to feel like I had to kind of pick up where someone else left off and 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 I think this bears out again in the ultimate uh, uh, portrayal uh, in that, in that when I, you know, you, I, I, this is a sort of a weird timing, but I finally decided to watch Star Trek two about three months ago. Oh, oh what did you think? <laughs> well, well, I was able to see firsthand what people have been telling me over the years and which is that the portrayals were noticeably different. And I believe that it very much had to do with both the actress and the director carving out the character uh, at that moment in time. And Nicholas Meyer obviously encouraged a more emotional side of the character. I, I think she had more flirtation in her uh, uh, at the time that Kirsty played her. And then Mr. Nimoy was, Leonard was extremely strict with me, but he also, he, you know, the first day of shooting, I shook his hand and I said, Mr. Nimoy, you seem to think I, I know what I'm doing here, but I like really don't. And he had said he had said to me in the in the in the audition for, for the Vulcan uh, um, mystique, think one thousand years of wisdom behind the eyes. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's a tall order. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to to put in the eyes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and when you meet me, uh, 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 you 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 know I'm 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 an effusive individual. I 
an expressive individual. Um, I never had any problem accessing my emotions. Great facility with, the, you know, the whole keyboard of, of feelings. And, and, and to suddenly be, be sort of trapped within my skin and, and, and tasked to be stoic and to not emote and to keep it all behind, you know, the eyes felt near about impossible to me. I, I thought I would burst repressing so much and moments, you know, that, that I had noticeable anxiety about, like communicating to Kirk that, you know, his son was dead. David is dead, and 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 the moment with Spock in the cave as as, as we tried to initiate and and address Ponfar, you know, though, you know, I just I I worried greatly, as did Stephen Manley. Um, you know, how how are we going to bring a profundity and 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 a, and, a, and an acknowledgement of, of of how important this moment is and the intimacy of it and the and 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 the and the tragedy of it uh, without without relaying emotion? <laughs> it's like Good gravy. So my tack was to simply put my hands in Mr. Nimoy's hands. He promised me, um, or put my portrayal, excuse me, in, into his hands. And he promised me he would take me every step of the way. And he did all the way to the end of the film when he, you know, the end of the, the end of the Faltor Pan ritual. And he now walks, to, walks amongst his, his comrades and he's having a moment face to face with each of them. And the question is, does that, you know, I guess on our minds is, does he recognize us? Does, is, is, has his Katra returned? And I remember he came up to me just before we shot that, that moment where the camera is, is moving slowly down all, each of us and lands upon our face. And he said, he said to me, Robin, what, what, what do you imagine it would be like if you were to see again someone you loved, someone you were intimate with? before and now now you suddenly come upon one another on a new york city street let's say and and mr nimoy was standing very close to me when he asked me this practically whispering it in my ear and i and i remember moving my you know stepping back to look up into his face and then and then feeling as though i i want so much to answer this question appropriately and 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 give him what he wants and 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 I was uncertain as to quite what to say and I looked up again and he said that's it he said that's what I want so sort of that uh insecure uncertainty will someone remember how important they were to me in that moment uh, and 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 what a what a magnificent moment it was and it was just lovely the way he deftly sort of almost tricked me into giving him what he what he I think what he imagined on film would be the right just the right stroke you know for that for that few seconds between us so in any case I was never made to feel like I you know the bottom line the answer to the question is I it's as if Kirstie didn't exist before that moment the only person who did kind of connect those dots uh, in that regard was Merritt he, he he was so lovely and so generous as you hope any counterpart is when when you're coming into the group and and they've already been you know they've already had time with one another a cast has already been acquainted and and so forth and have relationships he welcomed me and he was lovely and uh and he said that they did have a flirtatious interaction with each other and and I was happy that he told me but clearly this was not something necessarily that Nimoy chose to pick up on and carry through 
Does that follow? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and and uh, it it gets to something that I think I've I've even seen you talk about a little bit, which is in in Star Trek too. They actually had this idea that Savick was half Vulcan, half Romulan, and Romulans kind of show their emotions more. There was a sure. scene that they shot that acknowledged that, but it was deleted. But that was kind of what they were going with in the movie. Whereas in in Star Trek three, I think uh, Leonard Nimoy wanted like. Savick is Vulcan and does these kinds of things. And I think you can kind of see that in the performance. I think it is really interesting, like to compare, I, I kind of, I love the, the, the portrayals, you know, for, for both of them, for, for Kirstie and, and for you, but it, it is like something that's, that's different. It brings like a different, different side to it. And I kind of like that you can see like a different in, interpretation because I think they're both great, like in different ways, you know? Yeah. Well, you're generous to say that because I, I can certainly, from, from the old soap opera days, you know, when you watch someone for years and then they replace the character, oh, as the audience, it's like, oh, no, oh, no. You know, it's very hard to give that second actor a chance. I mean, look, look, look at what, look at, look at what Christie Alley did on Cheers. What a, what a magnificent uh, uh, second act you know, Shelley Long and then, and then Kirstie Alley and she did it and she did it with great aplomb and brought her own, you know, verve to the show and, and, and it, and, and it had a whole, you know, rebirth. So, it, so it can be done, but, but, but it is, it, it, you know, it can also be awkward. And I think that the people at the helm did, did, and, and succeeded, did what they could to, to make, to minimize that for me. And, uh, and I, and I was always, I was forever grateful you know, because it can be a bit of a burden to feel as though you have to kind of, do you, do you know what I mean? That you have to now uh, imitate or, or somehow pick up where they left off versus just bringing a, your your own spin to the whole thing. So it worked out. <laughs> yeah. So, so one thing I want to ask, I'm curious about, because you talked before about watching the original series in the 60s when you were growing up. And now for Star Trek three, you know, you're on the set with with you know a lot of the 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 same actors that you watched when you were a kid like what was that experience like Aww. well i i felt i felt enormous pressure so my behavior was to not speak until i was spoken to to be honest i i i as a guest actor uh when when, when you when you sort of just start to get work as an actor and now you're invited to be on television shows let's say where the, as I mentioned earlier, where the cast is well established, you know they have relationships. They're like a family, and now you're the new member. Uh, you're the adopted one. You know, um, I, I think I think most smart artists sort of take the approach. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait and see how this cast interacts. I'm gonna respect how they how they you, you know the kind of energy they bring to the whole thing. Are they do they goof around a lot? Do they joke? Who, who's the clown? Who's the serious one? You know, you, you, you want to come in and you want to match their energy, whatever that is, whatever direction that takes you in for the most part. And so that's what I did. I came on board and I, and I, you know, respectfully observed. And I think one of the things I picked up on immediately was how amazing Leonard Nimoy was at balancing all of these energies. Do you know what I mean? He, he, this was the first time as, as the cast mate you know, someone stepped onto the other side of the camera and was now directing. And I could see right away that there was a lovely energy between the supporting cast, if you will, you know, Nichelle and uh, Jimmy Dewan and, and, and Walter and, and George 
and even um, uh, Doc uh, uh, McCoy, a DeForest. And then, and then Bill sort, sort of had his own bubble, you know, his own energy, as it were. He was not as available. He was not as present. The others hung around the set quite a bit. And this is where people, you know, say on the Tonight Show, we, we got to be like a family because, you, you know, there's so much downtime on a film set. So much time is, is, is spent and dedicated to lighting the shot and so forth and getting ready to shoot the scene. And then the time in the scene was, is, is actually very short, very brief. But I, I just I noticed that Mr. Nimoy Leonard did, did this just this magnificent job of 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 accommodating Bill, accommodating the supporting cast, um, managing uh, me, a newcomer with but a guest star with with the magnificent likes of Christopher Lloyd, you know, who who, who was a seasoned actor and and uh, brought brought his own energy to the, to the set. And, and I, I just thought. Leonard uh, had had um, j- just a real mastery of what that was and what was needed in order for him to l- sort of lead and guide everyone to to a finished product. And I thought he did a he had a deft hand at at, at doing that and 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 accommodating everyone, you know, and their and their unique needs, if you will. So I, I I think I went about it very formally, if you will, you know, again, you know, really on my best behavior. And it wasn't until you know, two or three or four weeks went by and I realized I wasn't going to get a pink slip and they weren't going to fire me. That <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I actually started to relax. And, and, and the supporting cast was so generous. That's the other thing I would want to call out here. Oh my goodness. Like Walter Koenig said to me, keep a diary. Now I didn't listen to him. Shame on me. But he was trying to tell me this experience is not just for today. It's going to live on. And, and, and you'll want to remember the details, you know, and shame on me because I wasn't the type to keep a diary. You know, you went home at the end of the day after a 12-hour day and the last thing you wanted to do was sit down and write. Well, and you probably, I mean, you may not have imagined you'd be talking about it 35 years later, right? Heck to the no. <laughs> yeah, I did not. But that, the, the, those guys, I, I could see, you, you know, they, they, they brought me into the nest. And, and mothered and fathered me well and, and, were, and were generous and kind. And I can't say enough about them as an ensemble, how lovely they were and, and, and appreciative for, you know, again, what I see in the young actors today. Back then, the cast, you know, j- j- just exuded a, a very a sort of mature appreciation for where they were, their, their, their position in life and how Star Trek had, had was a gift. and you know, hard work and and professionalism, you know, just abounded on the set. That That's so great to hear because, you know, we focus on the next generation here and we'll talk about your role in the next generation a, a little bit later, but we hear so much about how great the, the cast is in the next generation. And it's great to hear, you know, from your experience on Star Trek Three that the, the cast there was really great as well. I can't believe that you didn't keep a diary because the clarity with which you remember kind of the minutiae of what happened um, in terms of filming Star Trek 3 is it kind of bowls me over. Um, so I'm so impressed. I can I can barely remember what happened last week, never mind what happened 35 years ago. Um, <laughs> so I'm super impressed by that. Uh, I wanted to ask you about one of my favourite Star Trek movies, which, oh no, quick sidebar though quick sidebar you can't tease us like that rob robin um you have to tell us who was the clown and who was the serious one <laughs> did you discover oh oh 
Uh, on the set, you mean? Yes. Well, I'll tell you, Merritt. Merritt was, was quite the playful this fella, uh, Merritt Buttrick. The, the, uh, the, the set of, of Star Trek Three, and I kind of compared notes with George on this at, uh, in Birmingham. Uh, I, and I can't remember how this came up with us, but the set of Star Trek Three was quite, quite serious. You know, you had people like Dame Judith Evans, for goodness sakes, uh, on the set. So, I mean, you know, you know, there was just a lot of, it was not morbid. It was not morbidly serious, but a lot of things were dying. Do you know what I mean? I, Merritt dies and the ship blows up and Genesis is destroyed. And, and so they're, 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 you know, we were tackling serious, serious things. And the set of Star Trek four, which I only had the pleasure of being on, uh, I can't remember now if it was four days or two days, to be honest, was so much more silly and playful. And I felt that the humor had returned to, you know, I felt like the, the, the winning recipe of Star Trek from the beginning, which was always this, you know, this simple, profound message that, that everyone could understand told with, with, with a, with a, with a smart and self-deprecating uh, ensemble cast of diversity and, and good humor uh, and intelligence. And, and I felt like Star Trek four brought that in spades. But there was no particular clown. We were all clowning around on that set. It just, just a lot of fun. I think it, it just felt more vibrant, uh, the storytelling. And, and I think people also, I thought it was very nice that the script allowed for more, more work from each of them. Do you know what I mean? Each of them had their moment, which I thought was so nice, versus sort of leaning heavily toward one character or another story and, and engaged all of them. And I was happy for them. Even though it meant that I got stuck on Vulcan, I was happy for them that they were going on to tell a really well-rounded story. Yeah, I think that really comes across. It's Star Trek Force, the the comedy Star Trek movie. I feel it's just so yeah. so playful and and joyful, but with that kind of seriousness, they're trying to save the Earth in the future, obviously in the background. So we have another Babel Conference question from Zach Moore. Were you ever approached to return in Star Trek Five or Six, or any Star Trek project as Savic in the future? Very interested to know if you ever caught wind at the time that Savick was originally supposed to be in Star Trek VI. Yes, yes. That was a difficult moment, I have to say. So when Kirstie Alley graciously bowed out of coming back uh, for Star Trek III by asking for, you know, negotiating her way out of it so that it saved face for everyone, she simply asked for an astronomical amount of money knowing they would turn her down so that she could move on. When they cast me, I say all this because they negotiated, uh, uh, they, they negotiated my contract for four films. Oh, really? Three, four, five, and six. Oh. And but each each subsequent film in the contract, they had a year from principal photography from the last film to exercise and to implement, if you will, whatever they had negotiated. And once that time period passed then, you know, I was up for grabs or, or, or could ask for more money or whatever it may be. Everybody was taking a chance past that point at, at which they would exercise their ability to hire me again at the pre-negotiated number, if you will. And, and so unfortunately for Star Trek four, the time passed. And then, and, and, and let me back up for a moment. The reason that they negotiated the, the films ahead of time, of course, communicated to my representatives and me, and the fans would tell me this as well, that they were grooming the character for more involvement. 
but then it, but but it didn't work out that way. So the, so the year passed from principal photography of Star Trek three to Star Trek four. They did not exercise my contract, and then my manager was sent a script that had me in two scenes, and so a very sort of reasonable nominal amount of money was negotiated for me to come back because honestly they probably could have worked around me. You know what I'm saying? If, if, if I had decided to stand my ground and say, well, now I'm, you've got me in it for a nanosecond. So I, I want you to pay me, you know, m more than is reasonable. I, I think they probably would have found a way to just work around me. <laughs> so, you know, I, I gratefully took the, the, the handful of days work uh, to, to sort of place the character now on Vulcan uh, and let the, let, let the rest of the story go forward. And, and that was that. And they never returned to five or six. Now, I got a call from Richard Arnold right around the time that preparation was being made for Star Trek VI, the script was complete, that they were, they were looking for Savick out, out to the public. In other words, this wasn't a character that, that was going to be revived by Kirstie Alley or myself, who had played the character previously, but someone new altogether. And I have to say, that really hurt. It hurt. And, you know, you know, I felt, I felt a little, I felt a pang of, of embarrassment and uh, disappointment that A, someone couldn't have called, whether it was from the casting office or because now Leonard Nimoy was no longer at the helm. And I don't know that, I don't know if Harv Bennett was involved because he was so kind, very classy gentleman. I think he wasn't involved in six. I think he was involved in two, three, four, five, something like that. There you go. But but no one and, and, and this is and this is a sad thing about Hollywood. A call that, that that by any measure in another in another setting, in another line of work that that anybody by observation would say should have been made doesn't get made. They just don't make the call. So I had to learn, as I said, through Scuttlebutt that 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 the that the character Savick had gone out in the breakdowns. Now the breakdowns is a very public, you know, subscription that that all agents and managers subscribe to that tells you what what the studios what projects the studios are doing and, and what they're casting. And there it was in black and white, Lieutenant Savick. We want uh, we want a star, a Deborah Winger type of character, and so on and so on. And I thought and 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 I learned later, you know, after my heart was was broken a bit by it. Um, that Gene Roddenberry put his foot down. This is something Majel told me later, Majel Barrett, with whom I had the privilege of appearing on, you know, at, at conventions with, uh, cruises in particular. She said Gene put his foot down and said, look, you've either got to cast one of these two ladies in the part, Kersey or Robin, or, or you must change the name. I, be, 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 and, and I guess he was never comfortable with the script because it, it took the Savick character in such a, you know, a, a, a dramatic turn away from everything that had been established. And he, he, he felt, he just felt that it wasn't right on either level, in either direction. And so they changed the name and, and the red herring, you, you know, became a little more exposed because, of course, you, 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 would, you would, watching it, you, you would know that Valeris was probably... <laughs> You know the traitor, the culprit, the the, the the whatever the antagonist. Anyway, so I was saved. I was saved. You know, serious public humiliation, if you will, 
Uh, but I got over it. You know what I mean? You get over these things. You know, you, you, you get knocked down, but you get back up and you keep going and you're grateful for what, what participation you did have. And, and there you go. Yeah. I mean, we really appreciate you sharing the, the story about that because, I mean, there, yeah, there was all this stuff that was going on around this character. And I think one of the things you alluded to was originally, I think, with Star Trek II, they were trying to think ahead to introducing new characters, maybe replacing the original series cast with, but that didn't quite happen. Right. And then, and then, right. and then things changed with, with you as Savick and Star Trek III. And there was a small part in four. I think what I had read was one of the things that had happened was they thought it might be too complicated to take both Spock and Savick back to the 20, 20th century and they both have to hide their ears and it's maybe like a similar kind of thing going on, but I don't care. I would have loved to see it, <laughs> to see the character in more right, of the movie right. and, and see what that would be like. But but yeah, I mean, it's really super interesting to find out that background and we really appreciate you uh, sharing that. Oh, it's my pleasure. I had some fun with that, by the way. You know, I've it was proposed last year that... I might have more fun at the conventions and the fans might appreciate it if I got back into the uniform and, and the makeup and hair and so forth, uh, like other characters had done, like other actors had done in recent times. And, and so in, in Birmingham and, uh, the other two conventions I did this year, I got to appear as Savick. My, my point is just that I was trying to think of a way, although we didn't get to do this in Birmingham, but I, I was able to do it at, um, Creation Con in, in, in Las Vegas from the stage, I thought I want to make a connection between the last time we saw Savick and today. And so I, I came up with the, 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 the hook that I, I uh, uh, was a stowaway on the HMS Bounty, is it? Or whatever it is, whatever oh, ship yeah. it is that they came back wow. to. The I came back with them and settled in upstate New York and had Spock's daughter. <laughs> Wow. And yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. And, and so I did this very sort of t like a 10 minute Q&A with, with Ian Spelling, who was lovely enough to kind of jump in it with me. And, uh, and, and, and that's what I, you know, that, that, that was the device I used to sort of explain why I was there in, in, in the moment. Um, uh, so, 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 so you, you, you uncannily connected me to that just now, Justin. Oh, that's, that's wow. fantastic. <laughs> and I, and I love that you've been doing that. So, so let's talk about the next generation. So what was the experience like playing the part of Talera on the Gambit two-parter? Good question. So I think, I think the, the strongest note that plays in my head about, about that character was, was just my extreme relief at, at finally getting on the show. Do you know, all those years ago, the fans would say, when are you going to be on the next generation? As if, as if it was just a matter of me making a, you know, a, a phone call to, to Rick Berman or, or, or uh, 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 what's his name? Michael, Michael Piller. Piller, yeah. Um, uh, it, 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 so, so my point is just that you guys assume that once you're in the club, you're always in the club. But it turns out having been in the club really had no bearing whatsoever on whether or not I got a part in the subsequent television series. So, so it was with great uh, gratitude and relief that I was hired on The Next Generation to play Talera because if nothing else, it, it shut down that question, when are you going to be on The Next Generation? I know, and that was, that was season seven, so it took seven years for you right. to get on the show. I know, <laughs> lots of questions, right? And, and, uh, and awkwardness at conventions at not being able to give the best answer. And finally, I got to be, I got to be in that club too. And, and, and it was a lot of fun. I worked primarily with, with Patrick. Awesome, awesome talent. Again, again, the guest and well-behaved 
you know, my approach was to just sort of, you know, wait and see how, how, how this cast interacts, you know, who, are they funny? Are they, are they playful? Are, you know, is it, is it dead serious? And I worked a lot. I worked so much with Patrick that I really didn't get a sense of playfulness until, you know, Jonathan Frakes was around, you know, and Brent Spiner, very, very fun, funny people. But Patrick is very serious and, of course, carried the, the, the yeoman's uh, job of that particular story. I remember, I'm trying to think now, I mean, he just, he just has such a presence that I remember thinking to myself, man, you've got to square your shoulders and hold your own with this guy, you, you know, because he, he was so intimidating and so um, stunning a personality to, to, to play opposite, you, you know, as a person and as an actor. That 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 both Robin and Talera, you know, both as a woman, um, standing opposite this 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 just just stunningly attractive person, um, and 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 as Talera standing opposite, you know, Picard, I just you know I was just telling myself on all levels, you've got to, you've got to be strong, hold your own, and 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 bring equally what he's bringing to you, kind of thing. Um, and, and the fun thing was, guys, it was a two-part episode, kind of a juicy, nice three-week, you know, shoot uh, and, and story and plot and play. And, and lo and behold, I said to somebody, you know, it, it seems to me it's, I'm, I'm very clearly not who I say I am. There's a bit of subterfuge here with the character. Could I see the second half of the script? Oh, you hadn't seen the second half first. Okay. <laughs> no. And guess what? They couldn't give it to me. Ugh. They couldn't show me. They said it wasn't done. So, so I had to kind of just sort of aim in the dark and obviously communicate some kind of underhanded, uh, you know, layer, the, the layer beneath, the darker layer beneath everything, but I didn't know what that layer was. So that was interesting. But again, you know, you're the guest. And so you're just so grateful to be there and, and whatever you can do. I mean, I listened carefully to the director, really good uh, cinematographer, I remember on that shoot. And I remember thinking uh, it was fun not to have to be so contained. You, you know what I mean? Talera had 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 a little more, more of the emotional layer to her. The, again, I didn't re- really know in the end what I was. Was I a Romulan? Did I have a little Klingon in me? Uh, Romulan for sure. The rest I wasn't cer- sure, certain of. One of the things, that, one of my favorite moments on that was was watching um, Patrick work out the last scene. Uh, the whole. A story kind of climaxes and and we're, we're traveling the galaxy trying to find the, the bits that make up this powerful weapon called the resonator and and anyone who's holding it in their hands now has omnipresent omniscient whatever power lots of power and <laughs> yeah, lots of power all the power <laughs> um, and i finally get it in my hands and he and and it's revealed that i'm a, you know I, I, i'm not who i say i am and and now jonathan and 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 Michael beam in, and Phaser's ready, and and Patrick has to deliver the lines, you know, hold your fire, stand down, and he's doing it in a very aggressive, you know, vehement way, and 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 it's not feeling right to him, and 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 we we do several takes, and he can't seem to he can't seem to figure out what it is that's not feeling correct, and and he asks for a break, he he asks the director can we stop for a moment? And so we all take a break and it's late and there's a lot of smoke on the set. Cause we're trying to, you know, we're in this sort of cave like setting and, and you can almost see a light bulb go off and he says, okay, I'm ready. And what he had, what he, what he'd figured out was that, that, that his energy 
this urgent and and over you know aggressive energy that he was bringing to the lines was inappropriate because that's what would engage the resonator. It needed to be it needed to be met with a cal calmer, quieter energy so that it wouldn't engage this thing, this apparatus. And 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 it, and it made sense. And it just was lovely to see someone in the cast care enough about the story and the integrity of it for for, for, the, for the viewer to figure it out, you know, to, to, to not give up until he'd gotten to the bottom of it and what wasn't ringing quite true. And I have a lot of admiration for that because honestly, everybody's working very hard, but it really is the actor who in the end, who's saying the lines and maybe the editor after that, who, who might be able to fix a gaffe should it occur in the shooting. You know, it's up to them to, to kind of be that last stop uh, before it, it, it gets forever memorialized possibly incorrectly and i really just admired him for having the the stamina and the, and and you know and the fortitude at that moment to to say we got to get it right guys we just got to get it right and i can't quite figure out why it's not they're just all a good bunch i have i have such admiration for all of them marina uh you know uh brent um michael jonathan good good eggs all of them Okay, so Robin, I have to correct you on one thing. At the beginning of the recording that you said you wouldn't necessarily describe yourself as a Star Trek fan, but you had seen it. See when you're able to name characters and who played them and episodes and you knew, knew the name of the device, the resonator, that means you're a fan and kind of, it's a different level, you're a hardcore fan I would describe you as. <laughs> You should be going. Whoa. You should be buying tickets for Star Trek conventions and coming with us. That's a, so well, you know, I don't know if I've earned my. That's the least I could I could do is to remember that much. I don't know if I've earned my stripes, but you know what I tell people? I'm a fan of the fans. Mm. I'm such mm. a fan of the fans. They, you know, they come near and far, high and low, multi multi generational. I love it when you know I, you, you know what at, at the conventions I call out the virgins, right? I always say, is this your first convention? And when people say yes, I stand up and I shout, you know, attention, attention, everyone, welcome, <laughs> you know, so and so to the family. I find that people who come alone, they, they, they spend the weekend embraced and, and included with others. You know, I, I just, the spirit of the Star Trek fan, there's just nobody better. They're, they're, they're the most generous, charitable uh, souls. The, uh, politically, we seem to be very aligned. You know, I haven't, I haven't met a knucklehead yet uh -huh. who loved, who loved science fiction and Star Trek and everything Gene Roddenberry espoused, who who would vote differently than I do. Um, oh, there are different, there are differences out there. Trust me, I follow a lot of people, but for, well, for the there? most part, I, I think you're correct. I guess they don't have the courage to introduce themselves to me uh, <laughs> or or tell me so. But yeah, no, creative people, I love that they. They get dressed up in costumes. I, I mean, that's not for me. I, I don't know why I'm an actress, and yet I Halloween, I run from Halloween or a chance to do that. I, I'm too self-conscious. But I just love their 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 abandon when it comes to kind of bringing their creative souls to, to to the to the convention experience. I, I just think it's awesome. So yeah, I'm. A, I guess I am a. I guess I am a big fan in the end. I really am.
I love that phrase that you put there, a fan of the fans, because I haven't quite heard that, but I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Yep, big time. Do you know what? I wasn't, I hadn't been to any Star Trek conventions ever before 2016. And the first one you go to, it's a bit like a, a really addictive drug <laughs> because of the, and it's not necessarily about meeting the stars or going to the panels or um, anything like that, that it's not about the stuff you get as part of your ticket price it's the interactions with the fans and the positive lifelong friendships that you make and the the opportunities that afford you to become a podcaster because I podcasted before last year and now I'm podcasting and interviewing famous people like Robin Curtis which is just (laughs) it's it's just nuts guys it's my pleasure I'm tickled pink to be to be here with you I you know I I don't I don't overestimate my worth I'm grateful for the few times a year that I that I get to come out of my my little life in upstate New York as a real estate agent and get out to to beautiful uh, experiences with all of you, you know, I'm, I pinch myself. Uh, I, I'm so grateful and feel so lucky. Um, and, and I haven't acted, you know, I haven't acted in 20 years. And so, you know, one can feel a, a little like, like a phony baloney, you know, coming out to the conventions, but I try, I try as best I can to, I think, I think for me, it's just all about the connection. You know, it's all about the connection. It's like Star Trek brought us here, but now where else can we go together? What else, what other common ground can we find with one another, you know, today? And how can I, how can I tell you, who's ever in front of me, you are, you're amazing. Go out and do the good work. You know, if you need a little cheering up, I, I'm your girl. Uh, you, you know, if you need a hug, bring it, bring it. I've got it. I've got hugs to give. Do, do you know what I mean? If I can send people a little more loved and a little more buoyed in their way, on their way as they do me, I'm I'm there. Sign me up. <laughs> that's, that's, awesome. that's that's fantastic. Just just love hearing that. So actually, there's another question we received from our listeners group, and it's from Jim McMahon, and he says, "If offered the opportunity to be in any of the new Star Trek series, would you do it? And what role or potential role would you want to do?" Hmm. <laughs> well, I I mean, good gravy. They lost my phone number a long time ago <laughs> in Hollywood, so I don't. I, you know, I I, I don't. I don't even entertain the idea that anybody's going to pull me out of the ether. Uh, you never know what could happen. Yeah. But, I, you know, I did uh, have, have a bit of vanity um, a year ago when, when Lolita called and asked me, you know, what I, what I want to try on the costume again. And um, my, my weight's been, it has fluctuated a bit in, in my quiet upstate New York life. And so I had put on some weight. And, but then I've, I've lost it as well. And, and so, so, so this last time um, in January of this year, guys, I started again to kind of get, get, get back to, to, to my fighting weight. And I lost, I've lost 50 pounds. Wow. Um, the reason I say that is only because if, if, if there's any chance that, that, that maybe Savick could be revived, do you know, I mean, I wonder sometimes if I get out in the convention experience and if I connect to just maybe that right person, whoever that is, who might have something to do with, with bringing Savick into a plot line, perhaps on Discovery or one of these other shows. I don't know. Yeah, but I, I was going to say the the Picard series takes place uh, what 120 something years after Star Trek three and four, but Vulcans live a long time, so it's possible. <laughs> 
there you go. There you go. And I guess, I guess, I guess it seems a little more, a little less um, far-fetched uh, if, if, if at least I'm in fighting shape, you know, physically. And, and I feel like I'm there, you know, like I'm really loving life and, and, I'm, and, and I've made a promise to myself now I'm never going back. You know, it's just great to sort of to, to make that commitment to your own health and well-being. Um, uh, so I'm on the scale every day and I'm eating healthily and I feel fabulous. I'm 63 years old. I feel terrific. You may have been drinking every night, and uh, at, 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 but I was actually in bed at a reasonable hour and up early because, oh. man, oh, man. I'm not an early morning girl, and they had me do a, uh, a meet and greet with, oh, you know who I met there, which whom I love is Harry Judge. We, mm-hmm. um, he and I did a meet and greet together, and he also is another one of these, just gets it full on, you know, brings his heart to the experience. Just a, just a lovely, lovely young man. Um, so we had long days, and I just, I knew, I knew I had to conserve myself in order to not get sick or, or lose my voice, you know, like, 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 cause it happens. You're just talking and it's, it's like, I tell people, it's like hosting your own wedding for three days straight, mm-hmm. you know, that, that kind of, you know, you know, energy, high energy and, and, and greeting people and talking to a lot of people. And so, and so you have to pace yourself or you're not going to make it to Sunday at six o'clock, you know? But anyway, about coming back to play something, oh my goodness, if somebody asked, I'd, I'd be over the moon. Um, and I think it would be more fun to come back as Savage, but play a new character. Sure, why not? Why not? Yeah, I mean, we claim to have no connections, but if someone does have connections and they're listening, you know, there you go. See what see what you can do. I, I doubt we have a listener that has that connection, <laughs> but if they do, start that petition. <laughs> Bring back Savic. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> so, Robin, what have your been your favorite experiences in acting outside of Star Trek? Oh, good question. I think, well, I, I've written a one-woman piece. It was completed, if you will, will, with minor tweaking in the years since, about 17 years ago. I've been working on it again recently. I've been invited tentatively to do the, to do the March 2021 cruise by CBS, and they've asked me to do the show. It's about an hour and a half long. It's my, if, if you will, it's my romantic odyssey. My, my, I might go so far as to say my romantic and sexual odyssey on the planet. I came of age at a very different time, a very interesting time in the 1970s when the roles for women, you know, in the romantic world were, were changing um, and birth control was ready available and, you know, all these freedoms uh, were, were happening and, and unfolding, the sexual revolution, et cetera. And, and for some reason, guys, I, you know, I grew up in a family where affection was readily expressed and love was, was loudly uh, stated and expressed and, 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 and with little, just little shame and embarrassment about being a human being and having bodily functions and all this other stuff. And so, and so this interesting combination of me and my sort of comfort in my own body and, and hugs and love and great, great, you know, a mom and dad who, who, who clearly dug each other and lots of hugs and physical affection and, and that time frame, you know, the women's revolution and all this stuff allowed me to be able to tell my sort of love stories, if you will, or my dating episodes or whatever it may have been at the time. I told them very, very, um, 
honestly and candidly without holding anything back. And people were always entertained. And they used to say, you got to write that down. you got to write that down. And I finally started writing it down. And, and it took on kind of a life of its own. And so, for instance, when Eve Ensler's uh, vagina monologues came, came, to the, came to the world stage, I thought, oh, dear, someone's beat me to it. You know, that's that. But then I realized when I saw the piece, you know, she had interviewed women from all walks of life and was telling the story through, through their, through their you, know, you know, this body part that nobody ever wanted to talk about, telling their life stories. And so these were many women's life stories, whereas mine is completely in the first person. It's just my body part that I'm talking about and, and my life experience and how I evolved as a, as a, as a physical, sexual human being. And, and, so, and so they're different. Do you know what I mean? Events for project and mine are different. One, one inspires the other for sure and sets the stage possibly. But in any case, I, you can appreciate that I grapple with the fact that I'm a real estate agent in upstate New York. And if I were to do, if, if I were to perform this locally, <laughs> you know, people might know a little bit more about more about their realtor than they ever wanted to know. Um, and so I'm looking, I'm looking for a place to maybe put it on its feet. It's already been on its feet. I did it at the SUNY Oswego where I went to college. This is a four-year school in upstate New York, a part of the state university system in New York State. Um, and it and it was hugely uh, applauded and 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 nicely nicely accept, you know uh, received. And I've done it. I did it at Dragon Con at midnight in a hotel in in, in Atlanta, Georgia. Can you imagine? Uh, <laughs> uh, and I've done it. And I've done little excerpts of it here and there. Um, but for the most part, because I'm not a good facilitator of my own work, I'm not a good self promoter. It's been gathering dust. But I'm bringing it out again, and I'm going to try to get it on its feet before this March cruise. So that so that I can feel as though you know I've got it I've got it in good presentation shape. Um, so that's kind of what I'm working on is my own project, and I think I felt the most gratified when I did it in front of audiences than I felt about anything I've ever done. That's great. I mean, I just want to clarify. So you talked about the cruise. Is it is it that you'll actually be performing this on one of those cruises, or that's it's just something? Yes. That's, yes. Oh wow. No. Yes. It, uh, they've asked. They've said we'd like you to do it on the ship. So I would imagine they're going to designate like like one of the uh, uh, you know ships lounges or 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 theater spaces to me uh, to do at night. It's definitely adult material. I would not I would not want a twelve year old or fourteen year old in the audience. It needs to be sixteen, maybe eighteen and up. Okay, mm -hmm. for sure. Anyhow, so 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 it's funny and it's tear worthy and. Um, and uh, I think most people can relate to it. Wow, that's that's great, and that's great that they're giving the opportunity to to perform that. Yeah, it's really exciting. I don't know if um, with Destination Star Trek in Birmingham and Star Trek Las Vegas that my bank balance can handle going on the cruise, but it's <laughs> definitely something I'm going to have to start yeah. saving up for 2021. <laughs> See you there. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, those things tend to sell out quickly. I don't know if they have it available yet Probably. for sale, but uh, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, so Robin, uh, we actually got a question. This is an interesting one. Uh, also from our listeners group this is from David Sturm, uh, who asked, what have you been your favorite real estate properties to sell? 
Oh, oh my goodness. Well, in recent times, I've, I just had more joy and, and uh, felt like magic was in the air. Uh, an amazing couple came to uh, Syracuse, New York with a little more spice and adventure in them than most. And they looked at a, a three-story, 9,000-square-foot former convent. 9,000 wow. square feet. That's gigantic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this massive, beautiful brick b- building uh, that belonged to to Saint to the Diocese of St. Patrick's Church here in Syracuse. They purchased the convent uh, where the nuns lived. And uh, uh, the church was selling the property because the... Uh, I guess the, the, they had dissolved the the, the nunnery, uh, and uh, this couple bought it. and And um, imagine the first floor chapel with a gorgeous uh, the pews and 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 sort of this semicircle uh, with 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 stained glass windows um, that that held the pulpit. Now held this young man's concert uh, baby grand p- piano. Uh, th- th- this gentleman was hired to come in and and and. Uh, teach at the Setner School of Music at Syracuse University. And he had two baby grands. And so this house, this, this house houses, whole, you know, easily embraces these large pianos. And now he has a perfect recital room for future performances. His wife is a coloratura soprano. Uh, they, they, they have mothers-in-laws um, uh, that they love and will eventually live with them intermittently. So, so the second and third floors offer space. For, for, for the adult moms to live in the house with them. It's just, it just was the most amazing marriage of, of client and property. And that, that was a, a, just a great deal of uh, fun to be a part of. Um, and uh, I admire them that they thought outside the box on that one. I would never have thought to present to them th- the property, but the gentleman went on LoopNet, which shows commercial properties. And that's where he found it. And he said, do you think we could look at this? I said, yeah, you know, I think, this is a stroke of brilliance that we're looking at this and, and away we went. That's really amazing. I Doesn't love that. It sounds, yeah. sounds awesome. So Robin, I have to take you out, out of upstate New York for a minute and ask you about Scotland. It's something I try and find with anybody that I've interviewed. So recently we've interviewed Clyde Kasatsu and Jennifer Gatti and now you. Um, and with those two, I've always found some kind of sideways tenuous link back to Scotland for them. I googled you earlier and I cannot find anything to do with Scotland, um, apart from the fact that your name contains the letters S, C, O and T, which spells Scott. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, my grandfather is from Hollyhead. My grandfather is from Hollyhead. Oh, okay. Uh, my, my mother's father, Hugh, and his sister Mary, Hugh and Mary Jones, came from Hollyhead. He was a Mason um, and came to the States when he was just 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, 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 I'm so sorry. I don't think I do have a connection to Scotland, I, but I would love so very much to come there. Oh my goodness. I, I want to see Ireland and I want to see Scotland. Uh, I've been to Wales, but I, but I've not been to your beautiful country. Oh, do you know what? Okay. I can, I can use that. The the intention and the desire to come to Scotland is link enough. So um, I am, I with, with all the power that I don't necessarily have in a, an official capacity, I'm going to bestow upon you honorary Scotthood. 
How does that sound? I want to. I want to come to Scotland just so I can listen to you talk. Oh, that's we all. Oh my there's God. five million of us. We all kind of <laughs> talk variations with the, of this <laughs> accent. So, but if you come over, you'd be more than welcome. We're a friendly bunch of people, so it'd be lovely to see you. Okay, <laughs> I might need. I might need closed captions. <laughs> not, not at all. Not at all. No, I mean you can you can under you can if you can understand Joe. I think, in my experience, at least, you can understand most people in Scotland. Would you say okay, that's true, Joe? Sometimes there yeah. are people here that I don't understand. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean there are some, but it's not some, like yeah, most yeah. of the country is like incomprehensible or something. No, this, is, this is true. This is true. Indeed. How did you two find each other? Um, Star Trek Las Vegas, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it was. It was Star Trek Las Vegas. The first time I went there was in 2017. And you were there, Joe, but I didn't meet you. But then I think you knew Amy and I knew Amy because we were doing this show. <laughs> so and it was kind of through that. So yeah, it, I mean, it's but it's really something these days. I mean, you can get to know people who are fans just all over the world. There's lots of people that I interact with a lot on social media that I have never met yeah. in person and maybe never will. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah. But at least I've met Joe. It's the power of Star Trek. It is, yeah. So, Robin, it's been just so fantastic talking to you today about so many different topics. We've really loved it so much. Uh, so let our listeners know where they might be able to find you online. Well, I'm on Facebook, but but I don't, you know, like I, I I'm, I'm very bad. I'm, I'm, I'm like a voyeur of <laughs> Facebook. I don't interact very much. I don't poke or hard or like or do the things most people do. I, I don't comment on a lot of things. I sort of, I don't know. There's this weird, I have this weird relationship with it where I kind of resent it, but I'm grateful. Yes, mm. me thus, I'm exactly the same. Right? It's like, <laughs> damn it. I don't necessarily feel like talking today. So I go and I look and then, then maybe the next day I, I do, I do make a comment or I do wish somebody a happy birthday. Yeah. Uh, but I don't want it to be expected of me or for, or for people to think that if I don't react that I, and for that matter, I may not have even seen the post. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I'm not very regular with it. I, I will admit. Um, so, and I'm trying to think where else I might exist. I, I, I don't tweet, but I, I, I am now because of the younger Star Trek actors. I'm trying to follow Twitter a bit, but I, and I do have an identity. And yeah. Right. But I just scroll and I read, I read all the, political people that I like. <laughs> all the good people, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the good people, exactly. That's, I, I'm sorry, I don't really have, yeah, there's nowhere to find me there except that I am on Facebook. And of course, I hate to say this, but I'm a realtor. So I was going to say, like, if... If someone is interested in real estate in the Syracuse, New York area, you know, they <laughs> they can get in contact with you. That, so Absolutely. They can find me so easily. And, and I would put this out there as well. If somebody is selling a property in a different location, somewhere else in, in, in the United States, I can make a referral. I can still work with you. Um, isolate a, a, a local agent that, that I think will, will fit with you based on your needs and wants and the kind of property you're selling. And then I can uh, be, be somewhat connected to it and weigh in, so, so, sort of be another voice that you can trust because most, most real estate principles are the same no matter where you're, you're shopping. And I know I was a, a great help to my nephew when he bought a property in Southern California uh, and I interacted with his agent. And I, and I, you know, I helped to caution him about certain things and to kind of shed light on this. And I suggested a way to approach that. And so, so 16 years of, of being in this business, I think, could be of help to someone 
in a way that maybe they didn't imagine. Uh, and, and, and this is a very common thing in my business where you make a referral. And this is a formal relationship between one agent uh, in one location and another in another. And, and now they, they kind of team up uh, 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 representing and benefiting the client that they have in common. And by the way, if someone were to call me guys and say, uh, Justin is shopping and, and he'd like to, he wants to buy a home in Syracuse and he'd like you to receive a referral from me, I would say yes to that agent. I would absolutely say yes because they're, they're helping me work with a buyer that I never would have connected with or, or met otherwise. So do you see what I'm saying? It's a gift to receive a referral. No, that's great. And you're certainly offering a service that none of our previous guests have been able to offer. So, <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I'm usually quite, quite, I'm sometimes shy about that sort of thing. I really loathe self-promotion. Uh, you don't see my face on signs in my, in my community. I, I don't make videos online to talk about what a great real estate agent I am. I would rather promote your home and be busy working for you. But nevertheless, I'm, I, I think I feel good enough about making that point with you guys if this if this gets out there that I would love to make referrals and to just always, you know, just reach out to me. And if I don't think I'm an appropriate person to work in that capacity for you, I'm the first, I'm the first one to say it and I get you to the right person. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's, that's great. So, so yeah, Robin, it's been just so amazing having you here today. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us on Earl Grey. My pleasure. And thank you to all your listeners who sent their questions in. Uh, thanks, you know, I appreciated that. Zach, David, I don't remember everyone's name, but, but um, thank you. And, and Justin, uh, uh, Joe, thank you so much for being so gracious and giving me this time with you today. It was a supreme pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much. Live long, love long. Wow, Joe, that was a really incredible interview Robin Curtis shared. Just so many tidbits from Star Trek 3 and 4, working on the next generation, like so many aspects of conventions and fandom and all that. Wasn't it incredible? And like the, her memory is yes. like astoundingly kind of detailed and kind of, she's so incisive and uh, it's amazing. And her energy really comes across. That is what she's like in person. Absolutely. Yeah. I think as I mentioned in the interview, I met her at Star Trek Las Vegas. So I was waiting in line, you know, someone was, uh, she was signing something for someone and I came up and I was like, you know, hi, I'm Justin. She, I think she put out her hand. And she was like, hi, I'm Robin. Nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> and like, what can I do for you? And asked her about the interview and she's like, sure, let's work on arranging it. I mean, she's been extremely busy, so it took a little bit of time, but that's no problem at all because it was just I mean, everyone we interview, I think, is just so delightful to talk to and has just such great stories and had such a great experience on Star Trek. It's just, you know, warms your heart. <laughs> it does indeed, yeah. And that's, that's why it's so great to be podcasting because we get to do all these fun things and like interview people that we idolize. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I do love when I talk with you and Amy about all of the different topics, but I also love that we get to to interview people and people are so generous with their time because mm -hmm. you know we're on this podcast about the next generation and we ask people hey would you like to be interviewed of course not everyone says yes but some people do and i'm just you know just very grateful for that because <laughs> i love hearing the stories and their experiences still a little bit terrifying for me because these are is it these are they're kind of it's famous people you know, the point at which it would get terrifying for me is if we somehow got Patrick Stewart, then I'd be like, oh my God. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's it for all of them, I, I just feel like it's incredible that they're sharing their time with us and, and telling these stories. But I guess I've gotten more used to it. You'll get used to it. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Or maybe not. Slowly, slowly but surely. <laughs> yeah. Well, it has been 
such a pleasure interviewing Robin Curtis today about her roles as Savick and Talera and talking about an amazing real estate story too. But that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks. I knew from the beginning it was going to be a very large and complicated undertaking. I was asked by the editor and the licensor to come up with a storyline for Picard that would deal with the fallout of what I unleashed in my novel Section 31 Control in which Section 31's crimes, and in fact its very existence, are publicly exposed to the Federation at large as well as its interstellar neighbors. Earl Grey. Troy looks down at her empty stomach. <laughs> Let me do this part, I'm gonna act it. Okay. Troy looks down at her empty stomach and frowns telepathically. Oh, I wish Listeners, could. you couldn't see it, but I did that. Oh, okay. <laughs> LaForge. Computer, locate a big thing of chips. <laughs> to the journey! What about the basics, planet? That planet's not bad. There's a lot of wide open spaces. You just have to avoid going in the caves. Yeah. I mean, anthropologically speaking. No spelunking on that planet. You can spelunk on the <laughs> board unicomplex, but you can't spelunk on that planet. No. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. That he said. <laughs> he was taking he, the new body out for a ride. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I mean, it was a great line. It just doesn't really fit what really happened. Like, he wasn't out there dating other people, you know? Like, well, he was trying to figure out who this new Colber was, you know? No, I know. But it, I, it was I like funny. It was lighthearted. It, right. It just didn't, it just doesn't fit what he actually did. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favourite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. So, Joe, I guess I'll ask you a bonus question here. Oh, I forgot about that. Excellent. <laughs> I know. Uh, so I was actually thinking about it because we were talking about Robin Curtis playing Savick mm-hmm. and the possibility of her maybe coming back. Like, what do you have an idea of, like, what Savick would be doing in the late 24th century? So, yeah, I think Savick um, has to appear in the Picard show. And she's part of some kind of Vulcan Romulan reunification. Hmm. Because um, she'll still be alive. She has to still be alive. She was younger than Spock, so yeah. Spock was uh, still alive. Well, I, I guess it depends on how you talk about it, because he goes back in time to an alternate timeline in twenty three eighty seven, but and lives for a little bit longer, but. Yes. Oh, so Spock's still alive, although he might have he might have disappeared in the jellyfish, gone back to the 
yeah. start the Kelvin timeline or something. Mm-hmm. My head's going to hurt with temporal yes, mechanics. Yes, true. <laughs> paradoxes. Uh, so, basically, Savic is going to take over whatever Spock was doing in the 24th century in terms of science and the Vulcan-Romulus reunification. Boom. The whole storyline there. Yeah, or maybe she could be... I don't know, an ambassador to what remains of the Romulan Empire. Mm-hmm. That could be interesting. It was a whole empire, so there still has to be lots of them left. Oh, yeah. I think there would be lots of planets left. Yeah. I don't know. But I was trying to think of it. I think that, so Savic, I think, does appear in some novels in the 24th century, including one, I'm trying to remember like what position she has or what she's doing but i think she becomes a captain eventually and does some other stuff i think she's in a mirror universe novel as well <laughs> there's oh. like a mirror savik that's doing some stuff i don't remember what but but yeah that i think that would be really interesting so i was just interested to uh to think about that no, that's an interesting concept but that'd be the obvious way to bring back robin curtis into acting mm-hmm. bring her back as savik in the picard series that'd be awesome definitely yeah or you could have a follow-up to because Talera is still alive at the end of of, of uh, Gambit, right? She's in a Federation prison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe she she breaks out, gets pardoned, or breaks out, or something. Who knows? We know we're going way. Far she has field, to get but. pardoned because there's so few um, Romulans left, and they they just I don't know they do something legal legal jiggery pokery, and she gets released to help repopulate the Vulcan Romulan civilization. Hmm. That could be interesting. Hmm. Well, listeners, if you've listened this far and your hashtag still listening, let us know what you think Savic would be doing in the late 24th century. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Joe, where can people contact you when you're not putting on your Vulcan ears? Do you know what? I've never actually worn Vulcan ears before. <laughs> I haven't either. I would I've really, really love to try. That'd be awesome. Um, I'm going to do that. I'm going to buy myself a set of Vulcan ears for Christmas because <laughs> nobody else is going to buy me them. Um, when I'm not doing that, you can get me on the Babel Conference. You can also get me on Twitter at joeyjoe77uk or you can email me joepodcasts at gmail.com. And Justin, where can people contact you when you're not living out your life as a Vulcan in El Paso, Texas? (laughs) I'm secretly a Vulcan who has had cosmetic surgery to change their ears, maybe. I don't know, although I have laughed a lot on episodes lately, so... It's the influence of um, humans on you because you've been here for so long. (laughs) You're embracing your internal emotions. Because I've been here since I was born. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can find me elsewhere on the network co-hosting The Line. That's our Star Trek Picard podcast. I co-host that with my friends Chrissy DeClerc-Zalagi and Brandon Shea-Matala. We've been talking about some things related to Picard and The Next Generation and Voyager in the run-up to the show. We'll also talk about every episode as it airs. And you can be sure if Savick somehow shows up in some season, we will talk about it a lot. I'll make sure we have like a whole episode if that happens in the unlikely event. Uh, You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747 where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. And when Robin Curtis is cast as Savick for the Picard series, (laughs) you can get her on as a guest. And you can get me on as a guest as well. Like a fan guest, actor guest. Of course, yeah. A reunion. Yeah. I mean, for all we know, she... 
is has already shot already? scenes as Savick oh. and is just working it's working under a non-disclosure oh. agreement wow. you know <laughs> blown my mind probably awesome. not but just in case we're covered with me predicting that indeed <laughs> If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patronzone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers. Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Joe Keegan, Jim McMahon, and me, Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Live long and prosper. He gave his life to save us. Mm